Welcome to Tech Sprouts, where we explore deep science-based technologies and investments that hold the promise of changing the world. I am your host, Suraj Nair from Angkur Capital, and today we will try to learn about the challenges in scale-up of synthetic biology solutions. I have with me one of the stalwarts of the biotechnology industry in India, founder of Richcore Life Sciences, which is now known as Loris Bio after its acquisition by Loris Labs, and now also the founder of Firmbox Bio, Subramani Ramachandrappa. Subramani has been in the biotechnology uh, or synthetic biology industry in India for the past two decades, developing animal origin-free recombinant proteins and enzymes for the pharma and food industries at scale. I'm super excited to welcome Subramani to our show. Great to have you with us, Subramani. Hey, good afternoon. And thanks, Suraj. Thank you, everybody else who's listening on this uh, podcast and sparing your time. I hope it'll be worthwhile. Thanks a lot. Um, you know, as investors, one of the questions that we always keep asking ourselves is, why now? Right? And I feel, especially in the synthetic biology industry, this question uh, is, is absolutely important. Right? And we've seen over the last two decades or so, uh, synthetic biology really coming to the fore, right? A uh, lot of new product developments happening. Uh, and and uh, we always uh, kind of uh, try asking ourselves, what is it that makes synthetic biology so special? And uh, why synthetic biology makes sense now, right? So the one way probably to answer that question is to go back to the last 20 years and, and see what's, what's happened in the market, right? Um, so, Subramani, just from your experience being in the industry for the last two decades, what have you really seen uh, in, in the market, right? Uh, what are those key milestones that you can point to to say that, hey, look, you know, this is why synthetic biology is now starting to make sense? Actually, that's a great question. Uh, and it's very important for us to go back in time uh, and understand why now, right? Um, in fact, we should not go just 20 years ago. We should go back to 50 years back uh, when uh, Watson and Crick sequenced the human genome, right? So it started there where we they were able to sequence the genome and several years later, uh, a company made human insulin, which is insulin produced or human insulin produced in yeast. Now, how did this happen? Because our understanding of reading and making sense of the gene started 50 years ago. And back then, the cost of understanding uh, a gene or, or, or sequencing a gene of a living organism was probably millions of dollars. And, and now we could actually read the gene in less than $1,000. Like you pick a, a living organism and you can have its gene sequence. Now, whether you'll understand the whole gene is still... Uh, some time away, but we are able to identify and know of certain segments of the gene using, of course, artificial intelligence and others. So the industry has gone through something which was very manual, right, to a level of automation in the 70s and 80s. Uh, that's when you saw, using synthetic bio, you saw companies making biologics. You, 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 you saw the advent of uh, medical uses of biology, right? Where they made uh, monoclonal antibodies or they made insulin or they made uh, uh, nowadays vaccines, etc. 
So like in case of space tech, you develop technology first for the most uh, exploratory uh, pieces of science, and then it translates to industrial and from industrial to consumer. Like, you know, the first uh, tech, uh, like a toaster, they say, was something a tech developed for the spaceship. So like that, the biotech industry evolved over the years to understand gene and its the various tools that is needed to manipulate them. And they came to a certain level 20 years ago. They were able to make viable uh, medicines or biopharma products, uh, which were first novel. And then you had, you may have heard the word biosimilars. So yeah. people were able to copy the innovators. And, and in India is quite big in biosimilars, as you know. And that happened 20 years ago, right? And, and then naturally it is got to step down to more other applications. And historically, uh, the industry has produced enzymes, um, enzymes uh, which are used in our day-to-day -day life from detergents to everything else. Uh, you have companies like Nozyme yep. or DuPont who make enzymes, which we all used at home. So there was this application in the high-end medical and human use where the cost didn't matter. But because it would save a life or it is covered by insurance, uh, it was used for the most precious thing we have, which is to save lives. So it could take a higher price point. And then as the technologies got better, um, we went quite uh, deep down to make an enzyme, which is a, like a lower cost of things. Now, what's happening in the last 20 years is the cost of understanding gene or sequences of different organisms and the cost of manipulating them has dropped down. Like you could actually synthesize the gene with less than a dollar a base, base pair now. So you can actually print the gene at a much lower cost than you did before. Having said that, having said that the real explosion has come because there are this middle segment of products which replace natural or replace petrochemical based materials. If you see 20 years ago, 10 years ago, when I, I started my company 15 years ago, Rich Core, at that time we had products which would clean up wastewater or we would make sulfur free white sugar using enzymes or biotech tools. It didn't really move the needle, right? Um, so we went back to making animal free recombinant proteins for biopharma industry which is nothing but pure synthetic biology. Because when we made products, which was as per today, clean tech products or synthetic bioproducts for the industry, the industry was not too pressurized on sustainability. They were still getting pine oil from the forest. They were still able to not worry too much about, there was a lot of talk about water and environment and the lack of depleting natural resources, et cetera, but it was not pinching us. Um, so that changed drastically in the last 10 years. Everyone became more aware. And then the tools were already there. So if we were making enzymes, now we are making slightly higher value products than just enzymes, right? In synthetic bio. Now, we are, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make uh, colors or you're making fats or lipids or biomaterials or polymers. And now you must have heard uh, the advent of trying to produce animal proteins like milk and egg and whey and whatnot. Now, why is that happening? Because we're saying, hey, the future is going to look even more bleaker, which means 
we're going to have even more pressure on the food system. So why not use the biotech tools, which is already present to start doing that? And it just didn't stop with microbial technologies. You're seeing a host of companies producing animal cells for consumption. Now that I would say would be really viable maybe 20 years from now, but then the industry is now ready to experiment. And 20 in the last 20 years, I think this was coming and COVID triggered it all. Um, the awareness, like every any average person now talks about DNA. Uh, otherwise, we as biotech people would have to actually start from zeros and ones and explain ATCG. So I think that changed everything. COVID kind of became a trigger for you know this global effervescence in synthetic biology products. I see. Very interesting uh, take there, right? So I see, you know, broadly two points uh, kind of emerging over the last uh, 20 uh, years or so. One being, you know, the cost of technologies itself going down, right? And uh, the other would be the know-how of how do you go about developing these has also improved, right? Uh, you know, for example, insulin, maybe it was produced in, in an E. coli. So you, you had a better understanding of the E. coli system, uh, uh, in, in general, right? But I think over a period of time, because you had to produce, uh, you wanted to produce complex compounds, you had to figure out newer systems, complex systems, and just understand what's going on inside inside those systems. So really uh, work with uh, these complex products that you want to produce, right? So just on the, the biological systems that exist today, is the know-how also improved there from what we had probably during the times of insulin? So historically, if you look, there are two uh, segments here, microbial and you have mammalian cells, right? They're two broad families is what I would say. In microbial, you have bacteria, you have yeast, you have fungi, you have microalgae. It's not bacteria, but you have microalgae um, and then you have mammalian cells of different nature. Historically, people did certain bacteria, certain, you know, cerveci, for example, in yeast or uh, pichia, and then there were a few fungal clones like trichoderma, aspergillus, and then there were microalgae and macroalgae, which people started playing with, right? They did that because those sequences were better understood. They, 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 we used that because somebody had done all this for several years, and there was a lot of known literature on the expression vectors, the type of uh, promoters, how do you optimize it and stuff like that. And regulators also accepted them in the biopharma industry. So you can't just come up with a new vehicle to express a protein and go to a regulator and say, hey, approve this, it's, got, it's a safe one. In fact, E. coli faced that challenge when a lot of products were made in E. coli because it had a stigma of being a pathogen, right? Okay. This this industry is highly regulated, whether it is synthetic bio or not, we all understand that. So you need that learning, which always happens post uh, a technology or a process is developed because the, the regulator needs data to say it is safe. Now what's happening, uh, and we didn't have to go beyond that because the yields and the cost worked out for the products that were made back then. But now the things are changed. You want to make a $20 product you want to make a ten dollar a kilogram not a kilogram product and through ferment precision fermentation or bioreactors it's insane pricing 
Like you can't even, if you go to a biopharma specialist and say, we want to make something in precision fermentation at $20, he's going to say, just go away. Like if he's a person who's doing manufacturing for biopharma because the costs are not. If you look back in the day, crystallization was the way to purify anything. Like, you know, crystals were made and it gave high purity. Now we use resins and columns because the cost didn't matter in biopharma. Now you're seeing innovation in not just the expression systems, but you're also looking at innovation in purification steps, et cetera. The biggest challenge I have seen is that even now when you come up with new organisms or a new expression platform, you have to go through the entire certification. Even if you did it on E. coli and PICIA, you got to go through the grass certification for your product. So right. I think with the regulators getting highly educated now, I think the transition to use other grass organisms as expression systems is also going to change. And we're going to see it happen very fast because I'm seeing unprecedented interest among governments, among regulators to say, let's get this new tech rolling because the shortage is real here we're all seeing that yeah interesting and uh, uh, you know i think the third part which which kind of uh, it is ancillary to probably the biotech industry uh, but very important as well is is you know the computing power that has kind of you know uh, uh, really improved over the last uh, few years right uh, that i'm i'm sure must have had a huge impact on how fast we are able to, you know, analyze genetic information and then start making sense of it. Yes, I think uh, the biggest impact one would see with artificial intelligence is going to be in biotech because it can impact every facet of our life, right? Whether it is, I mean, let me not go there, but it impacts everything, food, energy, water, medicines, health, whatever. In biotech, we have so many areas to use artificial intelligence. Like what we are talking till now is at a clone level, at a gene level, right? There itself, there's innumerable number of things we don't know and machine learning or artificial intelligence could actually help us. Like, like I said, there are different segments of the gene we've figured out, right? We know which sequence produces insulin, but then 99% of the sequence of even a human genome, or maybe 80% now, we don't know what it does. We don't know what its function is. So there's a lot of fundamental government-funded research happening in that area. But if you have the data on a system which can actually go and search on the gene sequence and say, these are the pairs which are... And we are already doing that. In fact, this artificial intelligence we're doing for, I think, more than 10 years in gene sequencing, for example, because that's how you identify commonalities between sequences between species etc and i as i know in the industry every company is now investing in computational biology all right there are two parts here one is machine learning to do gene sequencing at clone level then you're looking at molecular level like the polymers or like the structure of the protein its binding sites which drugs produce recently i met a company which is trying to take already produced drugs or approved drugs and seeing in which disease cases it can be used like novel applications for existing drugs because if you can define a target and then run the database on all the drugs available in the world you actually have more drugs coming to the market and um, that's one part in the clone level then you're talking about process optimization like 
all the batches we run even in small scale in R&D or in pilot is producing a lot of data like because we control the pH, the temperature, the growth profiles, uh, the toxins produced or the gases released at different stages of fermentation or a bioreactor. So right now we are all trying to automate that I mean, we have reached a level of automation to know how to control these parameters. But are we able to take the data generated and make sense of it, saying that, you know what, if you see this trend, it's going to lead to this kind of outcome. Because then that would change how the batch is performing and how to optimize. There's still a lot of wastage, right? Because we're using raw materials and the conversions can be low. Nobody checks. Like they check in a distillery where they make ethanol, they're looking at every percent of sugar use but we don't do that in biotech right now i think that kind of innovation is coming and that artificial intelligence machine learning can come in there then coming to the larger scale manufacturing itself that is the biggest valley of death biotech companies face uh, because it's quite easy to make a clone it's quite easy to express the sample go raise the first 10 crores and say or you know a million or two and say hey we we have a clone and then you even express it in the lab. Now the real gap comes between pilot to large scale. Uh, right. Most of the companies, I, I, I can actually say right now, are still struggling to get unit economics positive. And I think artificial intelligence coming in for process optimization can give better outcomes for them to be successful. That's that's the the part that I really wanted to come down to. You know, uh, we all understand. You know, a lot of products have actually reached a stage where they they can now commercialize, uh, right? Uh, you know, a lot of these companies uh, that that you see across the world now, different sectors, I, I should say, not just restricted to say like alternate proteins, but also you you're seeing companies who are making fats and oils, you know, colors as well, um, being able to actually come up with the product, right? But the scale up is where I think the next decade or so of synthetic biology will be defined around, right? So, uh, you know, uh, from your perspective, what are those, you know, maybe if we can list down, say, two, three major challenges that, that needs to be overcome if you really have to, uh, you know, take this to the next level. From what I understand, uh, you know, because, you know, biotechnology has been around for a while, uh, you know, scaling up a regular biotechnology process uh, is something that we've done to some extent. But are there any specific challenges associated with, say, like a synthetic biology-related uh, product? Or are there general challenges in just scaling up a technology that that you know this field will encounter over the next decade? So let me start with saying you can make the product. You can even make a lot of it. Any of these products, whether it is microbially produced or mammalian cells or algal product, they all if if there's a concept, you made it in the lab, you can scale it. But when you scale it, the question is at what cost? Right. Depending on the application, like if you make, say, collagen and if you're making it for a cosmeceutic or a therapeutic purpose, because you can inject collagen in yourself or you make it for cosmeceutics, which is slightly higher price on the way it's used and its purity, etc. They may be viable. But if I say I'm going to make collagen for food because I want to replace like like collagen used in food application, which is a huge, huge market. I don't think we are ready, right? And the reason being, just building scale does not guarantee economies of scale. 
right biotech because your raw material is a straight line right if you are at 5000 liters and you go to 500000 liters you're going to just multiply maybe at some volume discount but it is a straight line so i would say synthetic biology is not directly related to scale alone and its unit economics is not related to scale it's a lot more than that choice of raw materials right like can we change and use more complex materials instead of processed dextrose for example like can we use simple sugars coming from our fields uh, like you know like sugar syrup instead of using uh, dry powders of dextrose or using glycerol which is like coming from various industries so the raw material itself needs to change but you know biotech if you get a clone and you're feeding it like like ice cream every day and you give it like something which is not ice cream tomorrow it's not going to use it overnight so there's a, again you go back to the learning uh, teaching the bug what to do now the raw material needs to evolve drastically how you manage heat because these are all sterile processes whether it's for food or pharma we've got to have the product produced in sterile environments as far as the fermenters are concerned a lot of air needs to be pumped into it like if i would say just to give you an analogy if you have a 100000 liters fermenter tank and you're growing pickia you need to pump 150000 liters of air every minute for like 5 days for it to do its job means you need to pump. that means the way the air is oxygen is diffusing into the system and getting accessed by the bacteria or the uh, pickia or whatever is not efficient so there's a lot of process engineering that has to come in so can we use continuous heating systems can we use nano oxygen now if you have nano bubbles of air for example maybe it has better diffusion but it has to be tried and tested in large scale and and also you can't poison the organisms with too much oxygen right. so that evolution of the process engineering has to change then comes to the purification the current purification systems are all rigged for biopharma where the losses are not even considered but now you need to squeeze everything out now you need to reuse the media if possible so new technologies are evolving both in synthetic bio in novel proteins novel proteins are kind of a arm of synthetic bio anyway right but it's just that they're going into food process and then you have the cultivated meat and then you need medias for it which needs to be lower cost because you have growth factors and other stuff so by and large my view is the industry will see a lot of innovation not just in clone and expression but types of expression systems types of fermenters that they will use we are all used to a certain type of fermenters now i think we'll see more innovative fermenters which have more oxygen uptake which are less uh, prone to contamination maybe we'll move to more continuous fermentation systems and then you have uh, automation so the automation so we can't just multiplying plants you can't keep putting 500000 people to manage it needs to run like an efficient machine which means you'll need more automation in fermentation itself in upstream and downstream so it needs a lot more machine learning to change the parameters like a human would do you're going to see and we need that else it's not going to be viable then coming to the final products themselves because these are ingredients right 
Now yeah. they need to be used in various ways, in textiles, in maybe in dyes or in food or in you make a ice cream with the protein or whatever. That is going through a change as well because you're going to have an interplay between fermentationally, fermentatively de uh, derived products, natural materials, and maybe even cell-based materials coming together to make food, right? Like right now, if you see you have plant-based, maybe when you make biryani, you have rice, you have some veggies, and you also have chicken. So you, go, you, you may have to bring different technologies together to bring the final product to the market. Like for instance, flavors. Like as of now, we may not be able to make all the flavors, but if you, if, if you just bite into uh, a, a, a potato chip, uh, that the MNC sell in India, it has so many tones of aftertaste, starting tone, base tone on the flavor, on the texture of it. All that needs to now get adapted to synthetic bioproducts. So you're going to see innovation in that sense. And then comes the sustainability part. How do you manage the waste? Can we reuse the water? What do we do with the solid biomass? So one of the things I'm advocating is if the biomass came from the process, why not hydrolyze it and bring it back to fermentation so that that can be the feed, you know, feed source for the next batch. Yeah. So you're going to see not just clone and yields because that's what the industry, I, when I talk to them, they're thinking I get more yield, I'm going to get more scale. That's not going to happen. Two, clearly there is large molecule and small molecules, mm. right? Now the proteins that you know of caseins or whey's or whatever, these are larger molecule they're proteins and then you have the smaller molecules like colors fragrances some oils these are all much smaller the type of manufacturing you need to the process itself is very different for large molecule versus small molecule my take right now is most of the protein companies are going to really struggle to bring price parity we're not there yet but we have to do it to get there and we should hope that there's enough funding to get the companies to that point because it really serves a purpose. But whereas small molecules, which is like a huge basket of them, are mostly viable. And so if somebody is doing synthetic biology, it just makes sense to have a balanced approach to say, here's my moonshot to make a $20 product. But right now, let me make a $200 per kilo product because in given given the current engineering limitations, given the kind of expression system, given the downstream we have, a hundred plus, hundred dollar plus per kilogram product is more viable. And that's the reason why at Firmbox we said like, hey, we know why something will not scale for next five to 10 years. We may as well make products which still have a sustainable impact, but are slightly higher value for now. And and that's what we are doing, making oils, making some esters, making colors, uh, which have its positive impact, large market, but at the same time, it's still viable. I think the, the industry in the West is waking up to that situation because most of them are struggling to find skin. Now, look at the other companies, one of the companies you guys have invested in, String, where they're trying to use methane to produce proteins. Now, now that's fundamental science. That's like a path breaker. So like people like us, we are rooting for companies like them to succeed, but they are mired with a lot of risk being able to get that job done. But once it's done, there's a lot of opportunity going forward. 
yeah i think that's that's a very interesting take and something that you know when we were reading upon the the industrial chemical side of things right in synthetic pharma something that really came up was whether you make whether whether you want, want to make specialty chemicals or, or whether you want to make you know the normal chemicals and i think the trend kind of points of fact that you eventually realize that specialty chemicals which are probably higher price uh with better margins is something that synthetic biology could target initially because you know the technologies are at that level where you can probably uh you know produce uh, it at at uh, price parities and then eventually target more commoditized products right um something that that's that's very that's very, it's an interesting take on on the overall market right so um again going back to the fact that uh it's it's there are two aspects to this one is obviously the whole productivity argument to this whole thing and the second part would be how efficiently are you able to really scale up and and purify your product so that the cost that you incur in the downstream side of things is also kind of taken care of right uh are you are you actually seeing uh, any new innovations happening there uh, you know in the, in the downstream side of things because like you said you know when you were actually talking about these things It actually took me back to my college days when we used to do you know downstreaming and, and basically doing chromatography and you know resin based work or or even filtration for example so seem to be very traditional approaches of actually doing downstreaming right is there anything really path breaking happening the, over there that you're that you're seeing in the market today like we for one we are working on various crystallography techniques which is an art the guys who did crystallization they're mostly retired or no more and now there are few hard to find people who can do this you know you create a isoelectric point and you you increase the concentration and then suddenly they form crystals so in my opinion if the world can start looking at crystallization we may just have a more energy efficient and highly highly scalable process but then it's unique for each product right if you made that for say a particular chemical the same formula won't work for the next one so it needs to be a continuous iteration then you are seeing a lot of innovation like for example when you look at insoluble materials right a product of interest which is not soluble in aqueous media now if it's an aqueous media you can concentrate and spray dry it or you can do whatever now in the non soluble ones we are using solvents right and we've already seen in the natural extract space that people don't want to use solvent based extraction techniques because it has its own impact and also it's coming from petrochemical industry now you're seeing uh, what you call a supercritical carbon dioxide extraction where you liquefy the carbon dioxide and use that as a solvent to separate the protein so i'm hoping that innovation can come into large scale biotech manufacturing where the products are needing solvents for extraction right so like that there are so many small pieces where a technology which is used elsewhere can be utilized here like for instance in the industry itself we have seen we are no more only dependent on centrifuges for cell separation people are using ceramic membranes which is huge systems slightly more on capex but very low on opex right so instead of using the centrifuges typical centrifuges you use uh, uh, a ceramic membrane so like that i i am seeing lot of changes like it's industry is even going backwards i think which is a good thing like can we use filter press more efficiently mm-hmm. right and can we use uh, 
bio substrate as a membrane of some sorts to make these separations more efficient. So you're going to see some of the tech going backwards, bringing them back into biotech and some tech, which is really futuristic, like nanofiltration, like many other things that are coming up. Very interesting, actually, you know, the whole journey of going back to the basics, because somewhere I feel even, you know, uh, the purity levels that you require in these different industries would be different, right? So you don't always need to go to, say, like a chromatography uh, in, in all, all I, I kind of, applications. I, I kind of disagree with that. Everyone says that food must be easier, but it isn't. In fact, food is more difficult. Uh, for instance, if you look at food, you don't want losses, Right. You, you want everything to come out of it for it to be right. one. So if you're saying I want 99% purity, you're going to squeeze everything out and say, okay, get past this. So losses are not okay here. When right. it comes to cultivated meat, for example, it's a cell. It has to be as sterile as it is for human. And in fact, you have to produce a lot of meat. So I would disagree that food is kind of little easier or, you know, protein separation in food may be a little lesser because the regulator is not so. Now, if your question is 99.9%, typically most products that we'll make will be like 98%. So you're talking about that 1%. Yes, that's where most losses are. But you still can't have a lot of host cell protein. You can't have endotoxins, right? You can't have, you know, materials which is toxic for the human body, whether it's food or pharma. So that's what happened. The other more difficult thing is in food, it needs to look and smell good too, right? In, in biopharma, I mean, you just got to get intravenous. It doesn't matter. Now, if you make uh, uh, an egg protein and it has a fermentation odor, who's going to eat it, right? Now, if it has, uh, okay, less purity, but it has a few black specks, I can tell you, my kid will say like, hey, there's something black in it. Right, it won't work. Like you use a carbon filter and you're not able to efficiently go one spec here and the batch is gone. Then then you have the issue of anything landing up in the product, right? Like um, contamination. So when you lower sterility a little bit to control cost, you're increasing the risk of contamination, right? right. Now you're saying for food, the total counts in microbial contamination is okay, 10,000. Uh, units versus very, very low in biopharma. But to keep it within that 10 is a challenge because you have reduced so many of the controls. Uh, so the water systems, your air handling still has to come into play. In fact, what I've seen in my factories at Norris Bio will be like at four 500, not at 10,000. Because if you say I have the room for 10,000, then you'll you're going to be loose on contamination. It's going to cross 10,000. You know what I'm saying? The counts. Yeah. So you're, you, you are going to be like really, really low uh, in order to be a quality player. So it's wrong to say that maybe it's a little better. Yeah, I think that's 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 a fair point. Uh, you know, finally, I just want to kind of bring down the discussion onto the regulatory side of things. I think we touched based on it a little bit. Uh, you know, um, how what what are you seeing across the globe in, in terms of you know really acceptance for synthetic biology products? Um, and you know, uh, what's what's your take on how this is going to transpire? How this is actually going to affect the overall market uh, for the next few years? Okay, first let me advocate something I'm always saying, and then I'm going to get into it. For the first time, 
in our in my history in on earth as a person india is on the starting line right like we, are, we are not catching up like we did for biologics we are not catching up like we did for it products right we are on the starting line and my call out to the indian government is to make this a little faster but i'm seeing a lot of support as well but india works a certain way but i am i'm very happy with the leadership right now who are very proactive if we can do this faster we can actually lead the way rather than be a back at back room office for this industry but it's we are we are at least 5 years behind right now not too far so we could catch up now coming to the larger pitch proactive countries are moving faster like you have singapore very recently us i want to say was very ahead but they kind of came in as soon as they saw other countries were moving faster yeah. i don't know if you saw last week the biden government released uh, biden government released the bold initiatives for biotech and the last september they released a government order on how they want to go about this synthetic bio and bio manufacturing in fact they made a rule which says you want to sell here make it here right yeah. for cultivated meat for instance now proactive countries are moving faster to clear the regulatory pathway like in india they allow us to manufacture this products and export it right i tell you more than we we work with more than 45 different novel protein and synbio companies and we have scaled up their processes in india because there were no ready capacities there or the scale up manpower and most of the launches have happened globally of products made outside of bangalore and tumkur yeah. and and we don't see that kind of support to get that job done in india out to the world but i think uh, we are a little behind not just on the regulatory but also on the funding space uh, we are funding too small too little like we are funding a lot but we are funding like probably a million million and a half and then that's not the case for this industry it needs to get better if you look at europe they are going a little more slowly on this uh, us has gone ahead but what you'll be really surprised is middle east is countries like israel israel has made both on the regulatory and at a government perspective they've really gone ahead to enable this industry so the government is involved with every startup with every incubation center with every investor to make this happen the more exciting thing is in uae they created a place called kizad which has its own set of support systems for companies to go and manufacture there then there is uh, the neo project which in saudi i mean the scale of it is just mind blowing right and and i used to argue like hey where, where are we going to get the sugar are we going to import the sugar uh, they just pointed to the date trees they said we'll give you date sugar right so and then i said water they said our desalination is cheaper than fresh water in any other country you don't need to have a water plant because we're going to give you clean water which you can use without having to process it so you're going to have the desert countries competing harder because they have the capital they see this as an alternate future and the lagards have been lagards right like like but the proactive companies are moving much much faster europe being just tad behind us but otherwise yeah very very interesting take on on the on, on the middle east uh, countries right uh, you, you never actually imagine this to to happen 
um especially i think that's uh, one company example yeah. one company which makes milk they're saying it's going to be a dairy from the desert wow we scale them up here but then it's a dairy from the desert because they want to scale up there so we are missing out the scale up opportunity in yeah. fact in companies could make products we could do scale up uh, process optimization and we can do manufacturing so for india this is a real revenue earner in terms of foreign exchange because we have the people we have the expertise in quality control and quality assurance we have uh, water we have sugar we are a tropical country so we have all the ingredients actually we are best suited if you look at scale yeah 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 i mean that that's the i think that's probably a good good way to end end the conversation right because something that we've also seen uh, in in the market is that there is some know how and capabilities in in terms of scaling up at least in india right but i think somewhere probably on the r&d side and actually coming up with newer technologies here we are kind of at the starting point like you said and uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more of these you know innovative innovative products really coming out from the labs uh, which which can then be taken to to scale uh, and and commercialization right yeah. great i think uh, it was wonderful uh, subramani just just to speak with you and then just uh, you know talk about i think the last 20 years and then you know what 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 do you see happening over the next decade uh, really uh, thankful to you for spending time with us i think this was very uh, knowledgeable for, for for the people who are listening to to the to the podcast and i'm sure that uh, you know in the, in the next decade or so uh, we'll see a lot more innovation uh, coming from the country and then scale the products in synthetic biology Thanks a lot for spending the time with us. Thank you. Thank you very much Suraj and all listeners.